The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Steve Sands will be on the show today. Our good friend Steve Sands will be on the show. Of course, Steve, Golf Channel, NBC golf coverage. Bay Hill starts today, the Arnold Palmer. Um, But Steve is not going to be there for the first time in, I think, two-plus decades. Uh, He'll tell us why when he joins us later in the show. We'll talk Terps with him. We'll talk Washington Commanders with him. Uh, And uh, we will get sort of an explanation from Steve as to the Phil Mickelson situation, which uh, is a story that we have not discussed over the last couple of weeks, uh, Phil's really done some damage to himself um, with the comments about the PGA Tour and the Saudi Tour. Uh, Steve will explain all of that to us uh, when he joins us a little uh, bit later on in the show. Uh, so there are two main topics before we get to Steve. One is the Rick Pitino tweet from this morning, and two is Ron Rivera's comments last night on a CBS Sports interview, uh, cbssports.com. Josina Anderson was one of the interviewers. She's done a good job as a reporter, NFL reporter, for years. Uh, He said something, and Martin Mayhew said something yesterday that I think are big indications of where they are right now in their pursuit of a new quarterback. But before we get to that, I'm going to start the show with Rick Pitino, the head basketball coach, the Hall of Fame basketball coach, um, but the head basketball coach currently at Iona University. Um, Rick Pitino tweeted out the following this morning at around 8.45 a.m. Quote, The University of Maryland is one of the premier institutions of higher learning. Its basketball program can be among the nation's best. I hope they find the next great Gary Williams. I love coaching at Iona, and I'm totally committed to my players. It will not be me. Uh, Rick Pitino telling you pretty definitively that he's not going to be the next coach at Maryland. Why did he tweet that out? Well, um, it's what we talked about yesterday, the sports junkies. Uh, Jason Bishop and Eric Bickle of the Sports Junkies, 106.7 The Fan, um, our sister station now, uh, they had a report yesterday that 
several Maryland boosters had Rick Pitino as their number one target. I think some people took that report and said, oh, Maryland's going to offer Rick Pitino, and Rick Pitino is going to be the next, next head coach of Maryland. That's the way these things work. That's not what they reported. And we talked a little bit about this yesterday. What they reported was um, that Maryland has you know, some meaningful uh, boosters who want Rick Pitino badly and have targeted Rick Pitino as their number one choice. As I mentioned, I think yesterday, um, I don't I don't dispute that at all. In fact, it would surprise me if several of the Maryland boosters, especially those up in the New York area, um, hadn't made it very clear uh, through friends, Maryland people, media people that Rick Pitino is their top choice. So I think the reporting on that was a hundred percent accurate. Um, But I think the issue is that the school, specifically the school president, Daryl Pines, maybe even the athletic director, Damon Evans, I'm not sure, but those that would have to sign sign off on the hiring of Rick Pitino, which would be a controversial hire. I don't think I'd be very hung up on what happened at Louisville. He's been coaching at Iona. You know, he's, uh, you know, he's already back into coaching and what happened at Louisville happened at Louisville. Um, and you know, even though it involved hookers and recruits and there are many groups that would be outraged by the hiring of Rick Pitino at an institution like the university of Maryland, uh, most of the paying customers, um, would be thrilled with the hiring of Rick Pitino. Um, And at some point you get down to, well, okay, so if we hire Rick Pitino, we're going to sell out the building. We're going to be a contender nationally in the Big Ten and nationally for the next several years. uh, And it's going to be a huge boon to business against you know, people that couldn't give a shit about the Maryland basketball program. And I'm not saying that everybody that would be against the hire would um, be uh, that, that that they're not Maryland basketball fans, because there would be many, I'm sure, that would be outraged by it. But I think the significant majority of people who actually go to Maryland basketball games and watch Maryland basketball games and care about Maryland basketball games would be thrilled with the, with the hire, whereas many of those that would push back on it are probably people – um, that you know wouldn't be that haven't been paying customers or wouldn't be paying customers with or without Rick Pitino at Maryland. Um, so personally, I would have weathered whatever storm, and I don't think it would have been a major Cat Five. I think it would have been more like a Cat One, uh, and it would be a fast mover. Uh, I would have weathered that, and I would have gone for the home run hire, which would have been Rick Pitino. As I've mentioned several times, going back to December when Turgeon departed, uh, the next head coach um, needs to be a great coach, and it would also be nice if it came with personality because this program needs to be injected with enthusiasm, with juice. This has always been a very passionate fan base that right now is a bit in hibernation. It's temp. It's it's in that you know interim phase, as I kind of described the Washington football team. 
you know, description of the team that's been playing football in Washington the last two years. It's felt very temporary and interim, nothing permanent. Well, this year, even though Danny Manning's doing a, a great job and the player, they won again last night. They beat Minnesota 84 to 73. They've won four out of their last five games. They're back to 500. They're actually a decent team right now, the way they're playing. And they're going to be hell to deal with down the stretch here and into the Big Ten tournament. They've got one regular season game left Sunday at Michigan State, and then they play the Big Ten tournament. Um, But uh, the program feels very much that it is, you know, in a dormant phase waiting for the next head coach. And if you hire some guy that you've barely heard of from a non-Power 5 league, even if he's great, well, it's going to take some time for the enthusiasm to come back, and it's only going to come back when they start winning and winning big again. Well, Rick Pitino would have been the answer to great coach and immediate, immediate economic um, results. I think they would have sold out their season tickets within a couple of weeks for next year had they hired Rick Pitino. But my belief is that there are two things at work here. Number one is that those that would have to sign off on this, Board of Regents, school president, etc., um, have not been in favor of going down that path and have feared what the, the neg- what the PR ramifications to hiring Rick Pitino would be. Again, I think they're overstating what they would be. I think on the, uh, on the, on the Hurricane uh, Sapphire Simpson scale, um, it would be like a Cat 1. Uh, like, you know, literally like 77 mile per hour winds, 80 mile per hour winds, and it would be a fast mover and it would be gone. Um, and then the winning would take over and the financial boon of, of, of season ticket holders and hardest tick, one of the hardest ticket, uh, tickets to get in town would, would be, um, what everybody would then, uh, embrace. And, and it's really important by the way, whomever the hire is, they got to be a good coach. In the Big Ten, you've got to be a good. Uh, you've got to be a really good coach in that league. You cannot be a middling coach, even if you've got personality in that league. It's just too well coached, and that's why you know not to beat a dead horse. That's why um, I have said that I don't think I know that Mark Turgeon was a good basketball coach. Is a good basketball coach because he was the third winningest coached coach in the best coached league in America during his seven years in it behind you know Hall of Famers in Izzo and a maybe future Hall of Famer uh, Matt Painter Uh, anyway I think Patino his statement sounds very definitive and whether it's not because he whether or not it's a result of him knowing that while a lot of Maryland fans and a lot of Maryland boosters and maybe even the Maryland athletic director who knows Maybe even, the, maybe even the search firm that they have. I have no idea. Maybe all of these people wanted it, but he knew it was a non-starter for the, uh, you know, the people that would have to sign off on it. And so you know, he's taking himself out of consideration. Or if it's part him saying, you know, great opportunity. And you know, 10 years earlier, maybe. But I am a New Yorker. And I'm living in New York. I'm coaching in a non-pressure situation at Iona. I'm making decent money, and I don't, I don't even need the money. Uh, I'm playing golf at Winged Foot and every you know great course you know in Westchester and then in the Hamptons. And I'm not leaving here to go to, you know, back into a pressure cooker um, in a, at a basketball school in the Big Ten. That's possible. 
that you know it's more him than it is the school. But I think it's you know more likely than not, more likely than not, I think it's the fact that maybe the school was never going to move forward with this, even though some key boosters potentially were very much in favor of it. I think it's unfortunate. God, I mean, I'm enjoying watching this team right now play, you know, in front of like half-filled, you know, arenas. And last night was dead. I didn't go. Ohio State on Sunday was was big time, not big time, but it was, I think, one of the better crowds they've had all year. Still nothing resembling what we know the Maryland crowds can be. Last night was senior night, and it was just a horrible turnout. They played well, though. Uh, love Fats Russell. Love Eric Ayala. Really am going to miss Eric Ayala. There's something about his whole style, too. It's so smooth. It's so not rushed. It's so... It's so um, uh, non-stressed. Sometimes that leads to trouble for him, but uh, he can really score. Uh, but I think Patino's statement um, was not one of these, um, you know, I'm in the middle of a season. I'm going to take myself out of consideration here publicly, but really what I want is I'm negotiating with them. Now, I think this was pretty definitive. That's my opinion. I, I've seen the reactions on Twitter. They're, you know, Three thirty-five hundred likes, eight hundred, uh, you know, quoted tweets. I mean, uh, people are weighing in from all over the country, but a lot of Maryland people weighing in. And I think he's probably, if he's watching these um, these responses, he's getting an understanding really of of how passionate the Maryland fan base is about its basketball program. But I think he knows that because he knows Gary Williams and he's friends with Gary Williams and he understands what Maryland is. But I think that um, there's a good chance that this was really an understanding of it's not a possibility, whether it's because he doesn't want it to be or the school doesn't want it to be. I don't think this was negotiating or trying to end the conversation as he's in the middle of a very successful season at Iona. I think it's definitive sounding to me. Okay, uh, when we come back, who are they going to hire? I don't know who they're going to hire. I, I, I it, it, you guys ask me this all the time. I don't know who they're going to hire. I'm hearing the same names that most of you are hearing: Andy Enfield, Kevin Willard, Ed Cooley. Uh, you know, I don't think people like Nate Oates are possibilities. Bruce Pearl's no longer a possibility. You know, I've mentioned John Beeline's name before because I think he's an outstanding coach, but I have no idea if he wants to get back in coaching. He's older. Um, you know, the, 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 the guy, um, at, uh, at Virginia Tech's a hell of a coach. I mean, I think more likely than not, they're going to end up with a guy that is coming from a lesser program, um, whether it's a power five program or a non-power five program. Um, you just hope they end up getting a good coach because winning the press conference means zero in the big 10. You better end up with a damn good basketball coach who can go toe-to-toe with Izzo, with Painter, with Peichel. You know, I'm talking about, you know, on on this the schools you don't even think about in the Big Ten. You know, the coaches are outstanding in this league. Uh, so, anyway, um, I mean, Fred Hoiberg, who is an NBA, he's probably right now in Nebraska all of a sudden is playing, you know, pretty well. But it's like Fred Hoiberg's got the worst program, and Fred Hoiberg's like been a very been a successful coach. 
You know, the guy, the first-year guy at Penn State, Shrewsbury's doing a hell of a job. Fran McCaffrey obviously can coach. Greg Gard can coach. Brad Underwood can coach. You know, uh, Juwan Howard obviously has gotten the thing going, even though it's been a step-back year. I think that, you know, Chris Collins is a good coach. I think it's tough to recruit to Northwestern for basketball. Holtman's an outstanding coach at Ohio State, even though they've struggled here recently. Okay, uh, when we come back, I want you to hear what Ron Rivera told CBS Sports in an interview last night. And in combination with something that Martin Mayhew said, I really think that we've got a pretty good understanding of where they are right now uh, in their off-season plan to acquire a quarterback. We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. March is here, and the madness has officially begun. It's time for you to shoot your shot and score big on the nonstop action with MyBookie. Predict winners in each round of the MyBookie Bracket Contest for a chance to win a Bitcoin, a Doodle NFT currently valued at over $50,000, and over $100,000 more in cash prizes. Whether you're filling out multiple brackets, betting the national championship winner, or simply looking for player and game props, MyBookie has you covered. 
Sign up today with my bookie. Use my promo code KevinDC to make your first deposit. It'll earn you a free entry into the My Bracket contest. Selections for the bracket will begin officially on March 13th and close March 17th. March 17th, that is, at 12 noon. So make sure you get your deposit in now. Use my promo code KevinDC. If there's something already in the promo code, erase it. Right, Kevin DC, so you get that credit, you'll get that free entry into the My Bracket contest. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Uh, the news you've been waiting for Kenny Pickett's hands measured in today at the combine at eight and a half inches. Pretty small for quarterback hands. Joe Burrow's hands were nine inches, so a half inch longer or larger, however you would describe that. Uh, but there you go. Uh, the news everybody in Indy's been waiting for, the size, the actual size of Kenny Pickett's hands. And they, they actually came in um, a quarter inch larger than what was predicted because I had been hearing eight and a quarter inches. Uh, on Kenny Pickett, if you missed yesterday's show, um, we played uh, in its entirety the interview that I did with Mark Whipple, his offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Pitt the last couple of years. Um, Coach Whipple was great uh, talking about uh, Kenny Pickett, the player, Kenny Pickett, the projected pro, Kenny Pickett, uh, the <clears throat> the person. Um, I thought there was some real good insight there from his OC and quarterbacks coach from the last couple of years. That was on yesterday's uh, episode. So I want to play for you something that Ron Rivera said. I think it was last night. It may have been yesterday afternoon on a cbssports.com interview with three people, one of whom I know, and that's Josina Anderson, longtime NFL reporter, and the other two gentlemen, to be honest with you, I'm not sure who they are. Who they are. Um, but Ron Rivera was asked several questions, but this is the answer I want you to listen to more than any other. He was asked about the process of searching for a quarterback. Here's what he said. Well, I, I think this team needs a veteran. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, it's not going to preclude us from looking at, at, at a rookie. It's not going to preclude us from saying that, you know, if we ended up with a veteran and all of a sudden we draft a rookie, that this rookie's not going to get an opportunity. You've got to mm-hmm. be honest about that. I mm-hmm. mean, so as you look at that, what we decide is not going to preclude us from doing something else. We need a veteran. A veteran, he said. And then he said it would not preclude them from drafting a rookie quarterback. Saying you need a veteran and then following it up with, but that wouldn't preclude us from drafting a rookie quarterback, tells you exactly where he is right now or where they are in the pursuit of a quarterback. They're not going to get, and this is hardly a a big reveal, I understand that, but it's just confirmation that they have struck out, uh, not that they've struck out, but maybe they were never pitched to um, uh, in the Aaron Rodgers-Russell Wilson conversations. The Deshaun Watson, you'll hear what he said about Deshaun Watson here shortly, but um, they are talking about a veteran and then it wouldn't preclude them from drafting a rookie because that veteran's not going to be one of those guys. Because if it was going to be one of those guys, you wouldn't be drafting a quarterback. If you traded for Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson, you wouldn't then go draft Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett. Now you might say, well, Rodgers only has three years left, so you might do it that way. No, you wouldn't do that. You're not going to do to him what Green Bay did with Jordan Love. You're going to give him players. You're going to give him players. You're going to give the defense players. You're going to sign Devontae Adams, you know, and you're going to start rounding out the team so you can try to win the Super Bowl next year. You're not drafting a quarterback at number 11 or anywhere 
in the in the top 50 or 60 picks. So he, with all intents and purposes, told you, again, not hugely revealing, that, you know, the big swing, um, you know, when they had 42 quarterbacks on their board and they've reached out to every single NFL team to inquire about quarterbacks and the cost, which we told you about yesterday from Kimes' column, they're trying. Okay, but, you know, Rodgers may not be available at all. Or Rodgers might be available, but not to them. Diana Rossini on my radio show on Friday said, yeah, Washington's not one of the teams that have reached out to Green Bay because, in essence, Rodgers isn't going to play for Washington. He wouldn't play for Washington. And, by the way, Green Bay would trade Aaron Rodgers if they traded him to an AFC team. We've talked about Russell Wilson ad nauseum. If they decided to trade him, I think Washington might be a team that, well, I know, Washington would be a team he'd be fine with. But Washington wouldn't be able to get Russell Wilson. They don't have anywhere near what teams like Philadelphia or the Giants in their own division could offer. So Ron Rivera told you right there, veteran, second-tier, third-tier guy. Ryan Fitzpatrick, year number two. But since we have 11 this year, we are going to draft a quarterback too. And you'll hear what he said about Malik Willis here shortly. But I want to pair that up with what Martin Mayhew said yesterday when he was asked about how hard it is to project where the salary cap will be allocated when looking for a quarterback. Because there are a couple of things that he said yesterday that I, I want to talk about, Martin Mayhew that is, but this specific part of his answer is important. I'm going to read it to you. We're looking at everybody. That is a big piece of the puzzle. What we spend there, obviously we can't spend somewhere else. So that we're waiting, we're trying to get that to come together, working on that. You don't use the verb spend when talking about a trade. You don't use the verb spend when talking about a draft choice. You certainly don't use the word spend when you're talking about one of your own guys that's under contract already for hardly any money. You use that to describe the pursuit of a free agent quarterback. What we spend there, obviously we can't spend somewhere else. That with Ron Rivera, we need a veteran, but that wouldn't preclude us from drafting a quarterback and having a rookie you know, as a possibility as well. So I think the conclusion you come to, and this is a dynamic situation, it could change, but right now on March 3rd, 2022, Washington's big swing probably was never taken because unlike last year where Matt, where Matt Stafford was legitimately available, none of these other quarterbacks are legitimately available or not available to them, number one. Now, for those of you that would say, well, they need to make those guys available to them. They need to go in and tell Green Bay, uh, we'll offer you, offer you three first-rounders and Chase Young and Montez Sweat and, you know, Terry McLaurin. I'm just throwing out a hypothetical. Uh, they don't. The, the Green Bay might want to take it, but Aaron Rodgers might say, no, not going to Washington, I'll retire. Russell Wilson has a no-trade clause. So he doesn't have to take the deal to Washington. But by the way, again, Washington could outbid uh, everybody for Russell Wilson, but they don't have anywhere near the dry powder to do so. But again, Pete Carroll said yesterday, Russell Wilson ain't going anywhere. And that makes the most sense. So they, I think, Ron Rivera more so even than Martin Mayhew, 
they told you where they are. You know, they had these grandiose plans and they talked about taking the big swing. Well, you know, they didn't get that at bat for the big swing more likely than not. You know, they're coming in in another spot where they're going to be asked to probably, you know, move somebody over from first to second. A little sack for sack bunt to get a runner into scoring position. And what it's going to be is it's going to be a free agent from the group of guys that we've talked about. Mitchell Trubisky, Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, Andy Dalton. Jimmy Garoppolo would be a trade. I don't. I still think he could end up in San Francisco, as I said yesterday. Derek Carr's not going anywhere. Kirk Cousins isn't going anywhere. This is where they are right now. I don't know if this was, you know, on their grand plan, if this was plan, you know, B or plan C or plan D. It wasn't plan A. So they're already in, you know, at the very best, in best case scenario, is they're like in plan B. You know, we've liked Trubisky. We liked him last year. But now we really like him because Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, both in Buffalo, have had him for a year, and we've heard some really good things. And remember, Rivera's got good relationships with those guys. And, you know, we really like his upside, and he's 27, and he's mobile, and he can run our offense, and he's certainly better than what we have. I know Jay Gruden told us that he wasn't sure that that he was better than what they have. I I think he is. Um, And then, you know, we can draft somebody. We can draft, you know, Malik Willis. We think he's got a big-time ceiling. And he, you know, can do what we think he needs to do, which is sit behind a veteran for a year. So we'll have a guy that will make us more competitive, more dynamic offensively, you know, with a team that we're still trying to build out that we think is pretty good right now anyway. Um, and then we've got our future guy as well that'll get everybody excited. If And if Mitch doesn't work out, you know, during the season, we can play the young guy if he's ready. Oh, by the way, we've also got Taylor sitting over here as a great guy in the quarterback's room that we're barely paying any money to that we really like in a pinch if everybody gets hurt. I think that's where they are right now, and I think that's where it's going to end. Now, the big issue is of all of those other guys, how you know are they, what's what's their depth chart on that look like? Is it Trubisky one, Mariota two, Dalton three, Jameis four? I mean, whatever it is. And what if number one is Trubisky and there's too much competition and they strike out because Trubisky decides, nah, I like the Pittsburgh situation better or I like the Denver situation better or I like the Tampa situation better because there may be a competition for Trubisky and then they end up with Mariota. We'll never know, more likely than not, of the veterans that Ron Rivera said they need that they end up acquiring whether or not that guy was number one on the list or number four on the list. But it's going to be competitive. We know that. You know, they may not get the guys right now. Plan A may have been Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson. Plan B may have been a trade for Derek Carr. Plan C may have been Mitch Trubisky and we draft somebody. Plan D might be Marcus Mariota and we draft somebody. Plan E might be Andy Dalton and we draft somebody. Who knows where this bucket of free agent quarterbacks, how they've got them ranked. It would surprise me if Trubisky's any were any uh, lower than second on that list. Because we've heard Mariota's name. We know that they looked into trading for Mariota last offseason. We forget that. There was a report that Washington Washington had been sniffing around with Vegas about trading for Mariota. So this is where they are right now, subject to change. 
I wanted you to hear also what Ron Rivera said about Deshaun Watson during this interview with CBSSports.com last night. Uh, Because I do think that the Deshaun Watson situation is obviously a fluid situation. Um, But for right now, the fluid's kind of still. Like, everybody's waiting. But it's, you know, nobody's moving. Miami took themselves out of the Deshaun Watson situation. Uh, sweepstakes, if you want to call it that, publicly yesterday. GM Chris Greer saying, nope, we're out of the, uh, we're not interested anymore in Deshaun Watson. Uh, why would you do that right now publicly? That's interesting. I don't know why they would do that publicly unless they are legitimately out because maybe some of these guys know a lot more about the civil cases or a lot more about what's coming on the criminal charges on April 1st. It's a real weird situation. Here's what Ron Rivera said. Well, you know, I, I think in, in certain situations, circumstances, clarity mm-hmm. um, and some sort of resolution is probably best for, mm-hmm. for, for all these things. Because, again, we just we don't know who's available mm-hmm. and, and we don't know what the circumstances are. But so as we go forward, yeah, having answers most certainly makes things a lot easier. Yeah, I think everybody needs a resolution to this Deshaun Watson thing. I think you'd be nuts to go into a big time deal, two firsts and a big time player without really being confident about what the resolution was going to be, if not having it resolved already. There was the report last week from Mike Florio at Pro Football Talk that there were multiple teams that were willing to deal for Deshaun Watson, even without the civil cases being resolved. Uh, You'd still have to know how they're going to be resolved and how the league is going to handle it. You're not going to trade two firsts and a key player, or three ones and a key player. Um, for Deshaun Watson, if he's going to be suspended for a year, you, you wouldn't mind if he's going to be suspended for four games. But if you get into, yeah, he's gone for half the year or a whole year. And by the way, you don't know exactly you know what's been resolved completely on the civil stuff. And maybe the league wouldn't suspend him. But if you've got sort of an idea of what the league's going to do and it's going to be serious, bottom line is, Washington for now, Rodgers, Wilson, Watson, eh, not going to happen. The veteran that he wants is going to come from the list of free agents, and then they're going to draft Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett if those players, if one of those two players is at 11. Or they're going to draft the player that they really like, even maybe if that requires a trade-up, which I would advocate if they really like the player. And the player that I think has the highest ceiling is Malik Willis. And this is what Ron Rivera said on this interview last night about Malik Willis. You know what's interesting about and him in particular mm-hmm. is there are a lot of similar traits to a lot of these guys that have had success in our league. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I was fortunate enough to have drafted one of them in Cam Newton, who's a very special player. Mm-hmm. This young man has a tremendous skill set. You know, will some of those things he does translate? Absolutely. Will there some, some things that he'll have to learn and develop and grow on? Absolutely. But I can tell you, have an opportunity to interview him. He's a heck of a young man, mm-hmm. and he shows he's got the football acumen that you need to be successful in this in this league. So, mm-hmm. you know, is he a guy that you got to look at and pay attention to? Definitely. So a guy that's got a lot of similar traits to some of the guys that are playing at a high level, and he kind of compared him to Cam Newton uh, a little bit. Cam Newton's much larger than Malik Willis. I mean, Cam Newton is just huge. Uh, But I think this was a result of having just interviewed Malik Willis earlier in the day and maybe liking what they got out of that interview because they had – Um, you know, some interest going into it, but they wanted to learn more about him. If you watch the tape on Malik Willis, he's got high ceiling, very high ceiling. I don't know what his floor is, 
But I, I mentioned, you know, three weeks ago, after two weeks ago, whenever it was, after watching hours of Malik Willis game uh, tape, that there is high ceiling there. And any NFL evaluator is probably going to say, boy, this guy's got a lot of physical ability. This guy can really make some plays, can make some throws, um, and is incredibly mobile and looks like some of the guys that are out there running around making plays right now. And then if you like him on top of that, and he's mature, and he's a worker, and he's a leader, and he's a communicator, and he's a cultural fit for the the culture you're trying to create, I don't know, maybe they caught uh, Ron Rivera um, with a moment of Malik Willis bliss. Malik Willis... uh, Uh, infatuation. Um, It wouldn't surprise me if Malik Willis ends up being the first quarterback taken in this draft, and it also wouldn't surprise me if Malik Willis ends up going higher than 11, and that to get Malik Willis, you may have to trade up to get him. Nobody's predicting that right now. I understand that. We know as NFL fans, the quarterback thing changes between now and April 28th or whatever the date of the first round is. There are two more cuts from Ron Rivera's interview with CBSSports.com that I wanted to play. This one, he kind of spoke to the time frame on the quarterback and whether something should be coming soon. Here's what he said. There's only so many potential trades. There's only so many potential free agents. And if not by then, you are going into the draft, and that's where, that's where your next quarterback's going to come from, potentially. So, you know, we have to listen. We have to pay attention. We, we've got to talk to. And so that's really our, our, our main focus as we've come here. So let me do a little bit of, of Kevin uh, Ron Rivera translation here because I, I think I know what he is trying to say in that answer. He's giving you the timetable. You know, he's telling you that these trades – you know, they basically, over the last few years, they've already happened. They've already been announced. They're not formalized until the league calendar begins. But, you know, the trade thing would have already happened. And then if there's a free agent quarterback that is going to be competed for, like a Mitchell Trubisky potentially, that's going to happen pretty early in free agency. And so if you strike out on all those things, then it's like, you know, it's time to look at the draft, you know, for the answer. Which, by the way, it may come, you know, it might be both free agency in the draft, as we've already talked about. But if they strike out on all those things here over the next couple of weeks, then it's going to be focusing on the draft. You know, I guess they could always get somebody a little bit further down the road. Um, You know, not all quarterbacks get signed right away, and a lot of quarterbacks get signed when we get to, you know, June, July, whatever. Um, And But they're not the sought-after free agent quarterbacks. And this year, I think, it certainly feels like a guy like Mitchell Trubisky, whether you agree with it or not, there may be multiple teams looking for um, Mitch Trubisky, interested in Mitch Trubisky. And so I, I really think that Washington's going to have their free agent answer here. I think we already have the trade answer, and it's no. I think the free agent answer is going to come in the next you know few weeks. Um, it's going to come at the beginning of free agency with the league calendar two, you know, two weeks away from that. Um, and then, um, and then we'll know whether or not it's all about the draft because it may be just, okay, now we can focus on the draft to add to what they've already signed or they haven't gotten anybody. Now they got to draft somebody. The, the other thing he said there at the end too, you know, we have to, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically he's said this a few times about, you know, they got to talk to everybody. They've got to be involved. They have to know what's going on. Remember two years ago when he said, well, we didn't know he was available. It was DeAndre Hopkins who got traded to Arizona. 
by Houston. Like Houston, you know, that was the Bill O'Brien playing GM um, deal. And he said, and he made the comment, we didn't know that he was available. Well, they don't want to be in position to say, oh, we didn't know he was available. That's why they're turning over every single leaf. And I give them full credit for doing that. I don't want them to be anything other than, you know, overly consumed with trying to, to find their answer at this position. Even if it means saying, we got 42 guys on our board, we're calling every single team to see if everybody, you know, who's available, who knows. You know, we're not going to blow it this time because for all we know, Patrick Mahomes is available. And we, we need to call Kansas City to see if Andy Reid's interested in trading Patrick Mahomes. There was one last cut from Ron Rivera. I want you to listen to this. This is the debate that we've all had over the years. Great quarterback, average team, you know, average quarterback, great team. And then he goes into some detail about some other things. Listen to this comment. Well, uh, see, that's always an argument to me because, okay. because you know, you don't necessarily need to have a great quarterback to, to put yourself in position to win. Mm. And so if you can if you can put things in place, put the, the team you need in position, and you have a guy that can manage and control and mm-hmm. handle and make plays at certain times, you give yourself a chance. But you're right, the special one makes it a lot easier. And that's <laughs> sort of where I was going with that is, how close do you feel right now? It's a talented roster. You have some nice pieces in place. How close do you feel to being one of those teams playing late into January? See, we feel very good about it. That's, uh, and that's part of why, you know, Going through this process, I want to make sure that people understand we're willing to, to, to get in these conversations. We're willing to look. Why? Because we feel good. You know, when, when you get the, the year-end rankings and you see we got the number six ranked offensive line, we have a 1,000-yard receiver, a 1,000-yard rusher, we got some pretty doggone exciting pieces on the defensive side, we feel pretty good about who we can be. And if you do get that, 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 that guy that can take you to the next level, man, it makes it easier. If you don't, then now you're really talking about working, developing who you are as a team you know, that, that's really driven together by all 11 guys on the field each time. Two things. Uh, number one, I think he finally got around to saying, you know, we're looking for the big home run quarterback. Uh, but uh, knowing that they may strike out on the big home run quarterback and more likely than not will, um, you know, the, when, they, when they sign Mitchell Trubisky in two and a half weeks um, and they've got to talk about the great roster that they have and how he's going to upgrade the offense and they got a guy that can really manage a game and make plays when they need him to make them um, kind of a guy. And oh, by the way, you know, uh, it's not going to preclude us from drafting a guy. I, I, I really wanted to get to, though, the part about the roster. I just am not totally convinced that this roster is, like, close at all. You know, the conversation here on March 3rd, 2022 is actually so much different than it was on March 3rd, 2021. A year ago, we thought that the defense was really good. Some of you thought it was 85 Bears-esque, elite. I thought it was a really good defense, and I thought it had a chance over the next couple of years to be unbelievably good. But after last year... We have to acknowledge it was the biggest disappointment on the team last year. The defense really, for the most part, sucked for much of the year. And there are big question marks. You know, it seems like they whiffed on a middle linebacker in Jamin Davis. Maybe he'll be an outstanding outside linebacker. Um, it's certainly now in play in terms of a question for everybody about, uh, about Montez Sweat and Chase Young. I mean, certainly Chase Young's got to mature here in this offseason. They've pretty much told you that. He needs to come in and understand that one season does not make a Hall of Fame career. Uh, and Montez Sweat, you know, uh, I wouldn't put him in that same class. By the way, they picked up, you know, his fifth-year option yesterday. I'm happy about that. 
but I, I don't feel like this roster just needs, you know, um, you know, a, a really good quarterback and all of a sudden it's a Super Bowl contender. Now, Aaron Rodgers would make it a legitimate NFC championship contender, so would Russell Wilson. But if Matt, if a Matt Stafford equivalent were available this year, I'd feel like they would be a playoff team next year. But I don't know. The roster discussion is an interesting one right now. I don't think it sucks. Don't get me wrong. I just I think I'm less bullish about the roster here today than I was a year ago because of the question marks that I have about the defense. Last thing before we get to Steve Sands. Um, you know, Terry McLaurin, uh, Martin Mayhew said they're going to have conversations with Terry McLaurin's agent about an extension. This is the time to do it. He's entering his fourth year. He's a an unrestricted free agent if he doesn't sign a long-term deal between now and this time next year. You've got to get that deal done. And if I were Terry McLaurin, I'd wait. I would make sure that I am very comfortable with the quarterback situation in Washington because he could hit the mother load as an unrestricted free agent next year. Now, the team could always franchise him next year, and maybe they would do that, but the team should really be dialed in, really dialed in on a big-time contract extension. Uh, The other thing I wanted to mention is that Martin Mayhew made a comment yesterday that we did not talk about, uh, and I'm going to find it real quickly here. It was essentially about some of their existing free agents, J.D. McKissick, Bobby McCain, and I think Cam Sims was part of the comment as well. He said, quote, we want to get a sense for where they are contractually. We want to explain to them that we aren't ready to make an offer right now, but we do want them back, and they have the opportunity to go out when the negotiation period begins in a week or so. They'll have the opportunity to go out and talk to other teams, but we want them to to keep us in mind, but we want them to keep us in mind with where they're at contractually and what kind of offers they're looking at. They're turning them loose into free agency so that those guys can hopefully find out that they're not worth whatever Washington's talked to their agents about and they'll come back and sign with Washington. I don't know. It sounds risky to me. I think they love J.D. McKissick. I think they really love Bobby McCain. Uh, I think they like Cam Sims, but as far as McKissick goes, they missed McKissick last year. They really did. I'm not saying they would have made the playoffs with McKissick and with no COVID situation. Um, I don't think that that's true. But they really missed McKissick a lot. And they really, really like Bobby McCain. These are two names that keep popping up every single time you know, you talk to anybody either on the air or off it. Why are they going to just let him go out and test the market? J.D. McKissick, there's going to be a market for him. I don't know. Do you really need to know what your quarterback situation is before you re-sign J.D. McKissick? These are guys entering their prime, played really well. I mean, maybe McKissick's injury situation is something that we're not considering here. But I don't know. Sounds kind of risky to me. Uh, Steve Sands next. We'll get his thoughts on the football team, his thoughts on Rick Pitino and Maryland and a lot more, including, I think, an explanation about the Phil Mickelson situation, which is an interesting one that we have not yet talked about. Right after these words from a few of our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and Spotify in particular. Rate us and review us. Thanks. Uh, our guest uh, for this uh, segment of the show is my friend Steve Sands from NBC and the Golf Channel. And Steve is on his way to a final four of high school basketball for his youngest son, Eric's team. And you, this this truly is the first day of Bay Hill, um, the Arnold Palmer that you've missed in how long? 22 years. The first time I haven't worked uh, around at Bay Hill in 22 years. Well, are you scheduled for the rest of the weekend, or is it just today? Just today. I mean, it depends. I mean, if, if Eric's team wins, uh, I, I, I may or may not be at the game on Saturday, which is the championship game, but uh, I I don't think they're going to win today. <laughs> but it would be if there was a line. If there was a line in Vegas, it would be uh, Cavalry Christian would be uh, minus eleven right now. Oh boy. Well, I mean, minus eleven is not that bad. All right. Um... No, no, no. It could happen. I, listen, I had a talk with Derek last night uh, about Villanova Georgetown um, about how you know the Skins won a Super Bowl when they were an underdog. Um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of ways to win. You know, you can, you can be a dog uh, and still come up big. And let's make these guys think about it a little bit, Kevin. And who knows, in the second half, they might squeeze a little bit and uh, give us a chance. Which Do you know which Super Bowl Washington won when they were an underdog? I believe they were an underdog in the Doug Williams-Denver game in San Diego. That's true. And I'm looking it up right now. Yeah. I, know, I know they were an underdog in that game. And I'm going to guess they were a three-point underdog. They were a three-and-a-half-point underdog in the game. I just put pulled it up off pro football reference. Now, the Dolphins' Super Bowl 17 that they won, um, they were uh, – no, they were an underdog in that Super Bowl. Miami was a three-point favorite with David Woodley at quarterback. I didn't know that. I actually didn't wow. remember it that way. <clears throat> um, Somebody told me hey, – which Super Bowl was that? Super Bowl 17. Okay, because that was the one with David Woodley. The first time we played Miami, my older brother told me, this can't be true. The undefeated season team for the Dolphins, were we favored in that Super Bowl? I think your brother is right about that. I'm going to look that one up, I too. How in, I'll, t- how I'll, tell, I'll, I'll tell you why. I'll how tell you. undefeated team? How? Okay, um, on pro football reference, Miami was a one-point favorite in the game. But remember, oh. but remember the, the, so this is this would be my answer to you as to why Washington was close to being favored. They were only a one point underdog to a team that at that point was sixteen and zero. The seventy two Dolphins, the seventy two Dolphins. By the way, let me just emphasize that they were not the seventy three Dolphins, even though they won the Super Bowl uh, in nineteen seventy three. My, my the reason I think is even then, even though the Jets had won and the Chiefs had won Super Bowls, the NFC or you know the former NFL teams, I think there was still a stigma 
Again, uh, you know, um, uh, on the AFL, the former AFL teams. That would be part of what. what yeah, I think you're right. I, I mean, I could be wrong. The year before, Dallas no, destroyed right. Miami in the Super Bowl. The year before that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think there probably was a little bit of a stigma way back then. Are you talking about the early '70s? Man, this thing was yeah. just getting cranked up. I, I, I agree with you. I think that's probably why. But I can you imagine? Can you imagine what was the number? Uh, of the Patriots, the, the next time there was an undefeated team, the Patriots and the Giants. What was the line of that game? Uh, I, I want to say no way it was. I want to say no it was, was less than a field goal. I want to say it was twelve and a half. Hold on, I'm going to look that up because right, I have that's all what, this right. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it but just I, gives you a little bit of an idea of how how time moves along. The next time a team went to the Super Bowl undefeated, they were a double digit favorite. I'm just curious what it was. It was oh my god. Well, that's a pretty good memory from your boy here. Twelve and a half. Uh, was exactly um, the number. I think the biggest favorite, Super Bowl favorite of all time, were the Colts in Super Bowl three. I think they were a 19-point favorite. And then I think the 49ers, hold on, the Colts, 18-point favorites, according to Pro Football Reference. And I think the second biggest favorite was the 49ers in their Super Bowl against the Chargers. Nope, that was the biggest. They were a 19-point favorite over the Chargers in that Super Bowl. That was the Stan Humphreys, yeah, Bobby Ross, Chargers. Just think, think about that. Think about that, Kevin. You and I have, have gone to the window plenty of times in our career. <laughs> just, just, a, just, a, just think about that. When you see a regular season game of, say, like a really, really good Chiefs or Patriots team the last seven or eight years versus a, a Jacksonville kind of thing, and you see that there's an 18, 19 point number in a regular season game, that was a Super Bowl. Super Bowl. A 19-point spread in a Super Bowl. That's insane. Insane. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, keep in mind, when you go back that far, now not, not, not Chargers um, 49ers, but when there wasn't a salary cap and the league wasn't designed for parity, there was significant difference between the best teams and the worst teams. Now, I'm, look, we're talking about Super Bowl, so it was the two best teams. But you would see back in the 70s, as an example, you would see NFL lines at three touchdowns during the regular season. You know, college kind of lines. Not 30-point lines or 40-point lines, but you would see regularly, you know, 17, 18, 20, 21-point favorites. You know, the year the Patriots went undefeated, I think that was the year uh, that they were favored by at one point. I think they were a 26-point favorite in a game that year, and it was the biggest that we've seen during kind of the modern era of football. Um, Those 2007 Patriots, I want to see – you know, they beat the Redskins that year, 52-7. to I want to just see – I think they played a bad team and they were 27-point favorites. Let's see if this was the team. They played the Jets late in the year, 21. They were 21 over the Jets. I could sit here and do this forever. I, I'm not going to bore everybody. But that year in 2007, the Patriots – remember, not only were they winning, they seemingly were trying to run up the score on everybody. You know, Belichick was – and they ended up being massive favorites by uh, – I mean, they were, they, were, they, they were basically 17-plus point favorites in almost every game that year. It was crazy. It's, it's incredible. I mean, and I wonder, I wonder how many times they covered. Yeah, 
I, I'd have to go. I'd have to bet, t- take my time you, on I'll that one. Was, I'll bet you it was quite a bit. They were so good. My and, God. In the playoffs, they were a 14-point favorite over Jacksonville. They were in the Chargers game. That was the Phillip Rivers playing on a, on, on a torn ACL. Uh, they were 14-point favorites. And in the Super Bowl, as I mentioned, they were 12-and-a-half-point favorites. Um, anyway, uh, and by the way, in that postseason, they didn't cover much. They didn't cover against the Giants. They didn't cover against the Chargers. And, well, I just I just exited out. I forget if they covered against Jacksonville or not. Who cares? Um, okay, so I've already talked about the – um, the tweet from Rick Pitino earlier. You saw it. You so everybody knows Steve is. You know, I think most people know this. He's a local. You know, he grew up in Montgomery County, um, and he's been a longtime television star uh, on NBC and the Golf Channel. Um, and uh, and but Steve's biggest interest whenever we have him on to talk golf, which we're not doing today, we'll do a little bit of it, um, is to talk about, you know, the football team, the Skins, the, the Wizards, the Caps, the Nats, and Maryland basketball. So Patino tweeted out this morning, the University of Maryland is one of the premier institutions of higher learning. Its basketball program can be among the nation's best. I hope they find the next great Gary Williams. I love coaching at Iona and I'm totally committed to my players, it will not be me. Um, This was uh, a response yesterday to the Junkies reporting that Maryland Boosters, um, some of whom Steve and I know, um, wanted Patino, that he was number one. So, A, did you want Patino? B, how disappointed are you if you did? Well, you and I have talked about this on and off the air. Absolutely. I would love to have Rick Pitino. I think he would ratchet up so much energy in the program for the school and the area. Uh, the building will be rocking. It will be sold out. Um, I think Pitino would be the greatest fit of them all, um, especially to get the program back on its feet where we all think it belongs uh, and we are hope it gets to. Having said that, uh, I've been told that Pitino is not going to be uh, taking the Maryland job. And I don't think this is going to be a negotiating ploy by the tweet that he sent out. Uh, but I do think that he would be the absolute uh, number one choice if, if I were the guy and he was willing to take the job. Yeah, I. so what did you just say? Did, did you just say you know – because you didn't hear the open to the show. I, I essentially said what I said yesterday – He'd be my number one choice. You and I agree on that. Um, th- I know that there are you know big time Maryland boosters where Rick Pitino would be the number one choice, and that they would be all in in terms of whatever it took. But um, it's been my feeling, and even more so after several conversations yesterday, that he's kind of a non-starter for the president of the university, uh, Daryl Pines, and maybe the board of regents. So that was part of the problem. Are you are you saying that Rick Pitino isn't going to be the Maryland coach because Rick Pitino doesn't want to be the Maryland coach, or because Maryland's you know true end you know final decision makers, the school president, board of regents, just weren't going to go down that path? Maybe a little bit of both, but I think it's more of a non-starter for Maryland uh, to go that route. Look, at the end of the day, you and I have thought about this forever. You, know, you got Bruce Pearl doing his thing at Auburn. Who knows how he's getting it done? The guy at LSU is still coaching. 
there are, there are a lot of things going on uh, in college basketball. And I just don't think Maryland and Maryland's leadership right now, from, from what I've been told and what I understand, uh, is, is willing to even take that step towards Patino. Whether there's interest coming back from Patino, that's another, that's another thing. Uh, but I don't think Maryland right. uh, is, is ready to take that. So there's just too much baggage there with Patino. Okay, so who do you want? Because let's cross him off the list. By the way, I think when he says in his final, um, in his final five words of the text, it will not be me, that isn't like a negotiating um, ploy or let's not pay attention. That's actually se- that's very definitive sounding. You know, if he, if he actually had any interest level and he thought it was a possibility, it would be one of these things where he'd say, I love coaching at Iona. I'm totally committed to my players. We're having a great season, and this is home for me. Or something like that, you know. Um, but when he says it will not be me, it's to me that says it's over. It's not going to be him. So let's cross him off the list. Let's hope it changes, yep. but let's cross him off the list for now. So who do you want? Who do you think they'll get? I think there are a few people. Um, I think Kevin Willard at, at, at Seton Hall. I think Cooley at Providence. Um, you know, I, I, I think that. You know, I know Enfeld at USC, who's got USC, by the way, in the top 20 and solidly in the top 25. Um, and he plays a great brand of basketball. Did it at FGSU, you know, Florida Gulf Coast down here in Florida and brought it out there to the West Coast. Um, all three of those guys are in the mix. Um, you know, I look, you can make a case for all three of them. I happen to think Cooley is a great coach uh, who would be – even better at Maryland than he is at Providence, and he's done a really good job at Providence. I think Willard would be a good fit. He's a little square. I think the one thing that I've learned the most about being around the people we know, Kevin, who we're very fortunate to know, is that Maryland, unlike the other programs in that top 25, top 30, you know, top 40 type of thing, Maryland, you know, with the Skins and the Nats and the Orioles and the Ravens, and the Cats and the Wizards, you know, they're fighting against, uh, you know, some serious headwinds when it comes to getting attention to the program. So when you have a personality like Lefty, a personality like Gary, and the ability to coach like those two, obviously, and recruit, to me, the personality matters. So I, I, not that Kevin Willard is such a square guy that he wouldn't fit well here, runs a terrific program, just seems like he's not an attention grabber enough for this particular job, and I'd like to see a larger personality. That's why I think Patino would be just so perfect. But if you cross him off the list, I would personally go with, you know, the Cooley Enfield before I went with Willard. But that doesn't mean Willard isn't as good a coach as those two. I just think their personalities are a little bit larger. Yeah, I, I think that um, I think those names have been mentioned. I, I'm, you know. Cooley, I would love. I think Cooley's the best of the coaches of the three. I think he's an outstanding coach. I think they have to get a good coach because they're in a league where there are so many good coaches, and you're going to get exposed in this league. You know, if you're not a great coach, you're going to be fighting. You know, for you know, uh, avoiding uh, the the these try. You have no shot of being a double buy team year in and year out in the Big Ten tournament or a tournament team if you don't have a good coach in that league. You got to have a good coach, and they had a good coach, but we know what the issues were there. Um, secondly, it would be nice if the good coach also. 
um, were a personality, which is why Patino was the home run, uh, regardless of the baggage. Last thing on this. Correct. I, I just ultimately, if we find out, you know, whether it's publicly um, sort of discussed and reported or kind of what our hunch is to a certain degree, that they were kind of afraid of the baggage, they were afraid of the PR backlash. I'll I'll be upset about that because I think that is so small-minded right now. And I just think however they've built up in their mind a negative PR reaction to somebody who was at a place where they were, you know, buying hookers for recruits, I just think that that is a matter of minutes and it's over. And then it's about whether or not, you know, uh, you're selling tickets, filling up the building and winning games. I'll be upset if that's what what this was all about. I, so I totally agree. I, I Look, it's such a tricky and slippery slope. But if, if, if not that if everybody is being filthy, why aren't we being filthy? But it is a little bit of that scenario. Like, wait a second. Who are we to say that Patino should or should not be coaching at Iona, Louisville, or Maryland? Right. You know, it's not for us. If, if we don't want to make that decision, then fine. I get it. But – Man, I, I think that they ought to go after Patino and go after him hard. I, I just think that, you know, maybe he learned his lesson, you know. Uh, and by the way, the one thing about Spurgeon, you know, who we're both friends with, he, he was saddled with two things. One is he followed Gary Williams, all right? Try being Ron Zook and following Spurrier, okay? He followed the guy whose name is on the floor, and he didn't win enough in March. So now everybody in Maryland thinks, that we should be having this coach, that coach. I don't think we have the kind of program where Maryland should be going to a small or mid-major and hiring that coach. I think they ought to be hiring coaches with horsepower right from the jump. In fact, I think so highly of Mark Few and the way he runs his program and his coaching staff and the style of play. His assistant went down to Arizona and instantly brought Arizona back to where Arizona right. feels like it belongs. I would go to few and say, hey, who should we hire? Do you have anybody on your staff? Do you have anybody you've coached against? Who do you think we ought to hire? I think Mark Few is the example. Uh, it's way out west. It's Gonzaga. Totally different scenario. But, golly, I love watching them play. And now Arizona's playing the way they play. And to me, that's what Maryland should be doing. Get up and down the floor. Get Xfinity Center rocking. Get the area you know, all ginned up about going to a Maryland game and playing big games. They need a personality. They need a coach who's more than X's and O's. As great as cool he is, uh, he's an outstanding coach. You're right, man. The Big Ten's a coach's league. You've got to have a solid coach who's got a big personality, especially in College Park when you're fighting against the pro teams in Baltimore and the NBC. All right, um, let's switch subjects. Uh, Before we get to the quarterback discussion, I haven't talked to you. I mean, we've texted back and forth, so I I have a general um, idea of what your opinion is, but I want everybody to hear it. How did you feel on 2-2-22 or, you know, a couple of days before when we found out what the new name was and then we got to see what the new uniforms looked like and all of the new branding? Um, As a longtime, lifelong fan of the team, what was your reaction? Uh, same as yours, um, just very – I almost felt like there was a relief 
from my shoulders to not love them as much as I always have. <laughs> if that makes any sense, it was such a strange feeling. Look, I don't love the name. Uh, I would have been really good with Warriors. And I don't know how that works with trademarking and gold and Golden State and all that kind of stuff. But to me, that would have been the best fit. It would have fit the W on the helmet. I actually like the helmet. Uh, I like the the burgundy. I like the burgundy uniforms. I think the white uniforms are stupid. They're red and not burgundy. There's no gold on there. Uh, unlike Jim Zorn, the people like me and you who grew up in that town who are our age, we actually know the colors of the team. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why. Jason Wright and the and the and the team decided to pick those uniforms. They they don't fit the color scheme of the of the team, which is ridiculous. Um, the rollout was bad. The logo you keep talking about the insignia, whatever you call that thing, the logo, the uh, the crown, crest. the crest, whatever that thing is called. You know that thing is. How do you mess that up? I mean, they're the '85 Bears for God's sake. They're not the '86 Bears. It's ridiculous. I mean, I mean, shut up with that that crest. Well, they fi- they fi- they fixed it. And, they listened to all of us. Oh, yeah, but, but how do you screw that well, up? Well, because they screw everything up like how, that. How is that? How can that be screwed up? Because they don't I mean, have I, anybody I, in the building. I tell you this all the time. They don't have anybody in the building like you and me. They need people like you and me in the building to say, hey, will you give this a quick look-see? And we'd say, oh, yeah, well, it kind of looks good, but you got the years wrong. What do you mean? And then we'd explain hey, well, it, and then they would never... The put it on the list. You would never see... Put another thing on the list. <laughs> Put another thing on the list, Kevin, of them just being stupid. I mean, come on, man. Get it right. So, I don't know. You know, I'll, I'll grow with it. I'm still going to root for the team. I love them. You know me. I'm, I'm sick. I've got, I've got a disease uh, of loving this team. But the name the name isn't that great. It, it doesn't. It does zero for me. Literally zero. All right. Quarterback, which is obviously the number one conversation. What are your thoughts about it? Where, are they, where, where is it going to land? Where, what's the result going to be? I think they're going to draft uh, Pickett or Willis. I don't think there's any chance that Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson will be heading to Washington to play. There's just no way that they would go from a situation where they are either A, in Seattle, which is a good franchise and a good coach with Pete Carroll, uh, and with Green Bay. I mean, Aaron Rodgers isn't leaving Green Bay to go to Washington. He's leaving Green Bay to go to Denver, to go to Pittsburgh, to go to places like San Francisco maybe. He's not coming to Washington uh, to play for this franchise, which is a shame because I I happen to really, really like Ron Rivera. I think he's a really good coach. He put the pieces around him, and I think that that, that we can win. Uh, I just don't think Aaron or or Russell at this stage of their career is about to, you know, up and move and play for the Skins. I I think think they're going to draft, you know, one of those young kids. And I think they might try to go out and get a, a like a Fitzpatrick kind of player to maybe mentor, maybe have him sit for a little bit. But if I were them, I would I would you know pick a quarterback, put him out there, and let him play and see what happens. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, you know I think basically, especially with some of the things that Ron Rivera said uh, the last couple of days, Martin Mayhew. I think right now they're in kind of that Plan B or Plan C mode where it's going to be a Trubisky or a Mariota along with a Willis or a Pickett in the draft. Uh, Will you explain for everybody that hasn't been paying attention to it the controversy surrounding Phil Mickelson over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, uh, Mickelson has really, really put his foot in his mouth. He's really stepped in it. So there's a rival league going on 
from a company called Live Golf, which is fully backed financially by the Saudis. And they're trying to, uh, whatever they're trying to do in Saudi Arabia, they are trying to make golf part of the landscape there as far as tourism and dollars coming in that are outside of the oil industry, which, you know, it seems like the world is being less dependent on every single year. And I think the Saudis recognize that. So they want to dive into golf. So they're offering a whole bunch of money to a lot of great players. Phil was one of them. Um, And instead of using the leverage uh, of having that league up the ante for PGA Tour players and you doing it quietly or through his agent or subtly, for that matter, Phil just took a flamethrower to to the PGA Tour, calling them greedy and calling them outdated and, and saying how their finances are bad and, how they've been taking advantage of the players all these years. You can make a strong case that some of that has been going on. But the way Phil went about his business after being on the PGA Tour for 30 years, second greatest player of his generation, one of the top 10 or 12 players in the history of the sport, Kevin, he just decided to take a flamethrower to the league, which is the PGA Tour, and just destroyed them. But at the same time, he then did the same exact thing to the Saudis but said he'd be willing to play in, in spite of their dealings with Khashoggi and in spite of their dealings with, you know, these are Phil's words about how they treat certain uh, segments of the population. And he's really, really, really put himself in a bad spot. He then talked to an author who's writing a book about him. His name is Alan Shipnuck and was talking to Alan on the record. Alan disclosed those comments, which were on the record, and Phil got himself in more trouble. So his biggest sponsors are Workday, Callaway, uh, Amex, uh, KPMG, and Amstel Light, which is owned by Heineken. All five of them have decided to part ways with Phil, and now he's left where he has pretty much nowhere to play and pretty much no sponsorship money coming in. And he, he's in a really, really bad spot right now. It's it's going to be a long road for him to come back from this. His comments really offended a lot of people on a lot of different fronts. And, and Phil really put himself behind the eight ball. When you say he's got nowhere to play, what do you mean? Well, right now, he's not suspended from the PGA Tour. But he said he's going away and he wants to just take some time. Uh, with his wife Amy and his family, just kind of you know recalibrate, if you will. So he really doesn't. He's not going to play in the the Saudi league, I don't think, because the Saudi league really isn't happening right now. Because of one of the reasons is because of what Phil said. Uh, he's not playing on the PGA Tour right now because he decided to take some time away. Uh, who knows? As a three-time Masters champion, Kevin, in a few weeks, when we all go to Augusta, he might not be invited to play at Augusta because of what he said and what he's done. So we'll have to wait and see. And by the way, he's 51 years of age. He's an icon in the sport, and he's a reigning major champion. He won the PGA Championship last year in May. So he's going to be the defending champion in two months at Southern Hills in Tulsa at the PGA Championship. Became the oldest major winner in the history of the sport. Was the best story by far of any story last year in golf and one of the top five stories in all the sports and he's basically ruined all that because he put his foot in his mouth um so i don't know if he's going to be defending at southern hills in may i'm not even sure he's going to be playing at augusta 
next month. That'll be a big telltale uh, whether or not he puts the peg in the ground at Augusta. I don't think Augusta, Kevin, wants the attention uh, being taken away from the Masters itself uh, by having someone sitting up there at the podium at Augusta as a three-time winner of the Masters, a beloved figure in Augusta and the world of golf, uh, sitting there talking about the Saudi League uh, and all the things that he said that were so dumb as opposed to talking about the actual tournament itself. So he might not play next next month at Augusta either, which would be another massive story as well. What about this guy, Alan Shipnuck, the, the author, the biographer? Because there was this from yesterday, him saying, I've got some incredibly damaging information about Phil Mickelson, but that it's not going to go into his new book. I mean, that's that's. Uh, I mean, everybody's got their own perspective, but to me, that is major piling on um, by the author. First of all, if you've got incredibly damaging information, well, tell us what it is. If not, keep your mouth shut. What do you think? Yeah, I, you know, the journalistic part of it, Kevin, is fascinating. You know, he's writing an unauthorized book about Phil Mickelson. Unauthorized sounds bad, but people write unauthorized books all the time about other figures. Um, so it's perfectly fine, and Alan is an excellent writer. Um, Alan, you know, has, has rubbed people the wrong way sometimes in this sport with how he goes about his business, but he's an excellent writer, um, and he has the, the eyes and ears of a lot of people uh, in golf. Mickelson called him uh, out of the blue to talk to him about certain things. So when he did that, that was on the record. Uh should Allen have disclosed those quotes? You know, that's up to Allen. But, you know, Journalism 101 will tell you that he was on the record and he has an unauthorized book coming out. And his job is to write books, write columns, and sell books and, and you know, his outlet, whatever he is writing for that particular week. And in this case, a book. So disclosing on-the-record comments, Kevin, you know, that that's fine. Phil should know better. Phil's not a rookie. You know, he knows that at 51 years of age, what's on and off the record. Uh, he certainly knows Alan and every other writer uh, who's around as far as sports writing and golf writers. So I, I didn't have a problem with Alan uh, disclosing those quotes. I didn't find it to be Bush League at all. I feel bad for Phil that all of this is coming out and being disclosed, and, and, and he's in a really tough spot. But, you know, journalism will tell you that there was nothing incorrect there. I agree with that. I'm talking about his comment, though, last night specifically coming out and saying, I've got some incredibly damaging information about Phil Mickelson, but it's oh, not going uh, to go into his new book. But, not, but it's not going to go into yeah, my new that, book. Yeah, that would, that would fall under the – yeah, I'm sorry, I, didn't, I misunderstood you. That would fall, Kevin, under the category of, you know – Sometimes Alan rubs people the wrong way. Um, you know, that, it, there's nothing wrong with saying that, I guess. I wouldn't. You wouldn't. Um, but, but Alan chose to, and he chose to on purpose. He's in the business of selling books, and he wants to sell his book. Yeah, but if he's going uh, to sell his, if he's got the incredibly damaging information in the book, he should say, I've got some incredibly damaging information in the book. You've got to buy the book to read it, rather than saying it's not going to go yeah. into his new book. It's like, it's kind of like a piling on tease. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I think it's gutless in many ways. I, I'm curious, though, because yeah. I, the, the, I mean, 
there have been so many stories, right? And obviously, you're close with all of these guys, and I'm not asking you to obviously reveal any of these stories because you wouldn't, and I wouldn't put you on the spot like that. But when it comes to Phil, there have been these legendary stories about Phil and gambling and, you know, uh, uh, golf club manufacturing relationships and all of this stuff. Do you think that the damaging information, incredibly damaging information, is in that kind of category of the stories we've heard, you know, a lot of people have heard about Mickelson in the past or not? Or do you not just well, – I don't really, want to put you on the spot. You, you'd say whatever you want to say I'm about good. it. But, and, I can, and, and if you don't want to say anything, just say I don't want to say anything, which is fine. No, 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 no. I understand. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, we're going to go back to the first thing. We talked about, you know, Shipnuck saying I, – I, maybe I misunderstood, but I, I thought Shipnuck said that there are going to be a couple things in the book that are going to be uh, really uh, salacious as opposed to those salacious details not – being in the book. I thought that I read that. Well, that, that may be true, too, but yesterday was Alan Shipnuck has some incredibly damaging information about Phil Mickelson he reveals. He's in possession of, here, here's the quote, in possession of some incredibly damaging information about Phil Mickelson, but it's not going into the book. Yeah, I, I've heard that, too, but, like, here's the deal with Phil. Phil, you know, Phil has, has led a fascinating life <laughs> yeah. uh, and I mean to, to say the least and and he's dealt with some incredibly fascinating people uh, people who you and I think you know might be the coolest cats in the world uh, <laughs> that others might not others might not agree um, and and Phil the, 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 I read the quote yesterday uh, about Alan and, and the, the the quote you just read you know look there have been rumors about Phil for years I have heard so many things about Phil, I'm not sure what to believe. The only time I ever believe stories like that, whether they're on or off the record, is if they're not only sourced, but probably double sourced. And that, if it's a single source, it better be someone very, very strong. That's probably what Alan is talking about. The same things that I've heard over the years that you just can't confirm. I'm not a news person. I just call golf. But I, I, I you know, if you're going to confirm them, that's fine. But some of them you just can't confirm just because they're just such wild rumors. However, you know, you know where there's smoke, there's fire. And I, I think that some of the details in the book that's coming out from Allen, you know, there's also a guy named Billy Walters. Yeah, um, of course. One of the biggest, yeah. one of the biggest sports gamblers in America. Oh, in, um, in the world. And Billy. In the world. In the world. In the world. And, and Billy is also a little bit scorned by Phil. Um, and Billy is writing a book as well that supposedly is going to have um, some stuff in there that is not going to be favorable for Phil and his image. So, look, I don't know what's right or wrong. I don't know what's true or not true. I have heard so many things over the last 25 years about Mickelson. You know, uh, sure, I believe some of them. Uh, but until they're, you know, they come out in public uh, and they're actually sourced or confirmed, uh, to me, all that stuff is just a rumor. Yeah, if, um, if for those of you that listen to us talk uh, a lot of gambling on this show and on the radio show too, and when I refer to sharps and where the sharp money is, um, Billy Walters for many, many, many years was not only a sharp, he was the sharp.
uh, until he kind of came out of hiding, um, as did much of his syndicate, um, and uh, ended up with some insider trading stuff, which uh, landed him in, 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 in big trouble, including prison. Um, there's a great 60 Minutes piece on Walters from, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago now. I forget when it was. Um, but one of the fascinating people who has certainly been connected uh, with Phil over the years. And Phil's gambling stories, I think, is, you know, the, 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 it would be probably three chapters of the book by itself. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, his, his, his gambling his gambling stories are are epic. I've been around uh, some of those actually in person. <laughs> um, and Billy, look, I've, I've been around Billy a bunch of times too in person. And I was going to say if you didn't mention it, for those who listen to your show, and I listen to it every day, Kevin, I think it's fabulous. Um, gambling is obviously a big part of the show, um, or at least it's a part of the show. And if you happen to enjoy gambling, go YouTube. Billy Walters, 60 Minutes, and watch that piece. It's one of the yeah. greatest pieces in the history of the single greatest yeah, news is. show in the history of American television. And one of the greatest lines I've ever heard in my life about gambling or anything else, anywhere, anytime, is when he was asked in 60 Minutes, you know, in the, in the gambling business, which is set up for the public to fail, how is it that you have been so successful? And with a straight face, Billy looked and said, see, what people don't understand is I'm not in the gambling business. I'm in the information business. <laughs> what a lot. I mean, if yeah. you have, if you wager the way we wager, Kevin, what a line that is. I mean, that is an all-time great line. Well, let me, as long as we're talking about Billy Walters, I don't know Billy Walters. It sounds like you've been around Billy Walters. I know the legend of Billy Walters, and I can oh, and I can legend. just tell you that many of my, as I've referred to them over the years, many of my offshore uh, contacts over the years, um, uh, they certainly were very familiar with Billy Walters. And, and way back in the day, and I'm talking about you know the '90s, um, you know. It, it, Scott used to refer to it d as the bat phone because every once in a while I would get a call from what we would refer to, Van Pelt and I would refer to the bat phone. And it would usually be, you know, about three minutes before the kickoff um, of a Sunbelt game in, on Saturday. You know, uh, it would be like the, the bat phone would ring from offshore and it would just say, UL Monroe. <laughs> that would be it, you know, or it would say South Alabama now. <laughs> and so um, I can only tell you that it didn't always win when that uh, certain person would give us that call about two minutes before kickoff, but it probably won like 80% of the time. And, you know, the two of us, I think we've talked about this uh, on the on the podcast before, but literally um, the bat phone dried up, I don't know, around 2005, 2006, in part because some of the real sharps that some of the offshore people understood, you know, would come in with massive size at the, you know, at the very last minute on a team and especially when it was when it was in one of these lesser conferences that was you know that was money like it's you know it was like hey i would pick up the phone north texas go and because basically the line was about to move about seven points in, in the wrong direction and the first score you would see would be like North Texas 21, you know, Rice nothing or something like that. And 
Uh, that it, it didn't. It didn't work all the time. There were a couple of them where I, you know we'd be like, oh, "I wish the bat phone didn't ring today," because that wasn't right. But it was right a lot of the time. And yes, the sixty minutes piece on Billy Walters is phenomenal. And oh, by the way, Steve will uh, give you the same recommendation I've given you over the years. Um, gambling. Um, is not for most of you an information business. It's a gambling business, which means uh, you're probably going to, you're definitely going to lose. It's just a matter of whether or not um, you get carried away and you're losing. Um, Kevin, Kevin, there's a reason. Listen, there is a, as I tell my kids all the time, fellas, there's a reason they have big, tall, shiny buildings with gold windows in the Nevada sand. They They don't build build those. Because we win. No. All right. So take it easy. Are your boys? Are a buddy, of my, a buddy of mine won. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Are your boys? You've got three boys. I've got three boys. They're roughly kind of the, in the same yeah. age group. Um, are they into sports betting? Because two of my three boys are, oh. and all of their friends are. So the 21 year old in Maryland definitely is. <laughs> uh, that sound familiar to you, Kevin? Yeah. Uh, so this the our middle <laughs> one. Uh, Scott would be like your oldest son. I could talk to Scott about every single sporting event in the world, and he'll look at me like I've got 12 eyeballs and right. say, get out of here, Dad, I don't care. Um, our youngest one, 17, his favorite thing in the whole world, he does not gamble, um, but his favorite thing in the whole world when watching a game is hearing sportscasters and people make gambling references. When he's watching it, he just thinks it's hilarious when they do that. Like, he'll say, oh, Dad, this game's overwhelming. <laughs> he'll come out of the out of the blue and say, you know, it's, it's, it's 31-27 at the half. And he'll be like, Dad, this game's overwhelming. It'll make me laugh so hard. <laughs> Same thing if a game's like, you know, like in the Super Bowl, he looked at me at halftime and said, Dad, this game's underwhelming. <laughs> I said, yes, it is. Uh, so those guys. But he's not quite into gambling yet. Brian, our oldest one, uh, he has certainly found that bug as, as a massive sports fan. Uh, I'm sure Eric will too when he gets to college. But Scott, thankfully, Scott, thankfully, not. <laughs> you there? I lost you. Yep. No, you're good. I'm right here. Hold on. You, I, I lost you. You said Scott, thankfully, and then you disappeared. Yeah, Scott, thankfully, is not. Brian's found the bug. He's a massive sports fan. Eric's a massive sports fan. I'm assuming he'll gamble when he gets to college, like we all did. Uh, Scott is a freshman at Indiana, not a huge sports fan. He is not into sports gambling. So last thing on gambling, and then the last question will be about Tiger, of course. Um, I have, and I've mentioned this before, I think Tommy and I had this conversation a few weeks ago, but... Scott and I have had this conversation. A really good friend of mine, Mike, and I have had this conversation. All my closest sort of gambling friends, you know, those that, you know, hey, Tim Murray and I have had this conversation. Like Tim, who I love dearly, Tim, you know, has already texted me today. Uh, here, here's the text uh, from Vegas, by the way, where Tim lives now and does the uh, show on, on Brent Musburger's network, Vizen. Um, he's just, he, here it is. It's real quick. Kansas, which means he loves Kansas tonight. They lost to TCU by 10 on Tuesday night, and I guess they're playing again tonight, and Kansas is an 11.5-point favorite. Well, of course, Kansas. Um, but anyway, um, I, I'm mentioning the... – I get those texts. By, by the way, I get those texts also from Tim. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I know you do. So, you know, and you and I text back and forth. So one of the things that I've mentioned before, and I'm wondering if you've reached this point as well, I actually am sick of gambling. 
I don't love it as much. I, I think basically I'm coming to a point where I, it's just, it's gotten boring for me. It's also, by the way, uh, too much time wasted. And here's my theory as to why I've gotten to this point. The legalization of sports betting has brought in every, you know, every dude that's never bet before in their life. And now they've got all the answers. I mean, it's unbelievable. The dudes that were never the, the you never had access to gambling. Tommy said, you know, gambling when it was illegal was kind of a cool thing. I guess that's part of it. But uh, the legalization of it and having all of these dudes that didn't even know what we were talking about two years ago, and now all of a sudden they're experts. And I just want to look at them and say. You don't know what you're talking about. And if you and by the way, you're only betting five dollars a game, so shut the fuck up anyway. Um, but any, but but beyond that, I think it's gotten to the point where I don't know, it's it's not interesting to me and the fact that everybody does it now, it it does sort of take some of the um it's not coolness. I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for. It takes some of the 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 mystery out of it, or the 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 you know doing something that's a little bit edgy out of it. I'm not into it anymore. I do it. I like last night. I was on DePaul loser. I mean winner, comeback winner, unbelievably. Um, but I was on a couple of losers, and I'm just like you know I don't feel like doing this anymore. Or have you gotten to that point or not? Yeah, it's a little bit like it's similar. I mean, I still do it, uh, and I still enjoy it, and I still study it as much as I always have. But it, to me, it's like going to a blackjack table and sitting there and playing blackjack, and then somebody at the table doesn't play correctly, and you're thinking, "What am I doing here? Like, why am I sitting here next to this? Why am I sitting here next to this bozo who does not hit 16 on a nine? So just you know, you just have to walk away. Sometimes you don't walk away; you just get your brains beaten in sometimes you do walk away and you feel a little bit better about yourself same thing here it's a little bit of an amateur hour situation now everybody's into it everybody's doing it all these companies are giving away all this free play right. and everybody's doing all these things and yeah the mystique and the and the aura and the and the uh you know it, it's like the the underground nature of what we used to do is now above ground so it's not as sexy it's not as cool uh but i i still enjoy it i mean I'm not, I don't do, you know, I do, I do football, college and pro, and I do college basketball. I don't bet the NBA. I don't bet Major League Baseball. I don't bet hockey. Uh, so I take a nice respite after the Final Four until mid-August. Uh, and, and occasionally I'll, I'll do a golf matchup or something like that. You know, President's Cup, Ryder Cup, those are always fun to bet, those matchups. But, and the match play in a couple of weeks in Austin is a fun one to, to bet as well, but for the most part, just college football, NFL, and then college basketball, and then I take a, a, a rest from gambling. But, yeah, I, I get a lot of people now who are doing it, and literally when I see that they're putting in 11 to win $10, I'm just like, oh, yeah, yeah, what, what are we doing? I know, and it, it should be. Not that I'm above that. Yeah, I'm not a it shouldn't be, be about that. Not that right. we're above that. Understood. Right. Uh, let me just also quickly um, you know, mention – I'm a total hypocrite, I understand, because I do all of these ad spots for gambling-related companies on radio and podcast. Well, you know, 
business is business. <laughs> I mean, period. But by the way, you, you said something that just made me think of something. So, because, you know, the tournament and football, it's like, you know, in the Catholic Church, like those of us that are not, you know, practicing Catholics in the way we used to be, and I'm not, you know, I was, I grew up, I was an altar boy. I had to go to church every Sunday and the, you know, the Catholic church was a big part of my upbringing, but I just feel differently about religion in general. And, um, and you know, the Catholic church in general, not that, you know, I'm I'm not going to get into it, but the bottom line is people refer to people like me who occasionally go to church as C and ears, meaning we go to church on Christmas and Easter, and that's basically it. And so I think my gambling is going to take that path where I bet, you know, football season and March Madness, and I think that's going to be it. The problem with that, of course, as you know, is March Madness, I don't know, I think it's so hard to bet, and the NFL's impossible to bet. And really, some of the best opportunities, if you, you know, if you're grinding it out, night in and night out on college basketball, you know, in, in, in January and February and before all the tournaments start. But I think that's kind of the way I'm going to proceed. Anyway, um, I, th- this is a conversation that may only be interesting to uh, the two of us. Uh, Tiger Woods, when's he coming back? Where is he going to play? Oof. Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, he's, he's not getting around as, as well as he wants. Uh, Augusta's really hilly. I cannot imagine that he's capable of, of walking that golf course five consecutive four consecutive days, five with a practice round. Um, I, I think St. Andrews in July at the Open Championship, short, flat course, easiest course to walk at the major championships. I think perhaps that's his target, uh, but I genuinely don't think we're going to see him until perhaps the, the, the PNC Championship, the father-son playing with his son Charlie again until December. I just don't think he's going to go out there and play if he can't compete with the world's best, and and right now he can't. Is he ever going to be physically fit enough to get back into a regular schedule? And when I say regular, it's not that he's playing, you know, every other week. I'm talking about playing the majors and picking, you know, four or five other spots during the course of the year. I, I don't, I don't think he'll ever play a regular schedule again on the PGA Tour. Uh, and I don't think that he will play, you know, three, four, five events unless he has the ability to compete. He doesn't want to be a ceremonial golfer, Kevin. He never will be. Never. He always said he would never be that, and he doesn't want to be that now. And unless he can get the ball out there as far as these guys, unless he gives himself an opportunity to get a win or to compete for a victory. I, I just don't see how he's able to compete long term. He, he's having a hard time, you know, getting around uh, healthy 100%, let alone compete against the best players in the world who are 20 years younger than him on the longest golf course in the most difficult course conditions you can possibly find in the world. So I, I just I don't think you're ever going to see him regularly on the PGA Tour again. Uh, I do think he'll come out and play if he's ready by showing himself some scores at home, you know, that's how he came back the last time. Right. He was, he was shooting really low scores in private at home. Well, he's not doing that just yet. So we're just going to have to be patient uh, and wait and see. All right. Who do you have at Bay Hill? What's that? Who do you have this weekend? I have Matthew Fitzpatrick. Okay. How about you? 
Uh, I took Max Homa, but I I, I almost uh, yeah, I almost I almost took Rory, and he's four under through four hole uh, through uh, the front nine uh, and tied for first right now. It's day one. Who cares? But I almost took Rory, but I took Max Homa. All right. Um, yeah. Rory, Rory's the best player in the field. He's won here before. It's a perfect golf course for him. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why. I, there's no reason to save any of these players, especially in these golf pools. I know. Every, every week <laughs> it's is so a, true. You have to check. But yeah, I mean, if you took the best player every week and you had him available, you probably would win the pool. Uh, yeah. Why don't we do that? It's like I I, I keep saving I keep saving like players for majors. What's the point? As you pointed out, you know the prize money at, at, at these other places isn't that far off. All right. Um, what's the name of your son's school again? Lake Highland Prep. All right. I've got Lake I've got Lake Christian. I've got Lake Highland Prep plus eleven against Calvary Christian for a nickel. Are you booking it or not? I'll book it. I just hope you got plus one forty on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, good luck. Good luck. Enjoy these uh, these games and these events. They're so much fun. Take care. Yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun. I appreciate it, Kevin. Take care, buddy. All right, that was awesome. That was awesome. Appreciate it. All right, buddy. Um, I'll Any talk time. to you soon. Take care. All right, buddy. Be good. Be good. Steve Sands, everybody. Uh, always fun to catch up with him. That's it for the day. Back tomorrow. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.